0: Welcome back to BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross, Joe Ostrowski, and Aaron Hawksworth here with you. Joining us now is Sean Zerillo of the Action Network to talk about uh, MLB's trade deadline and what to look forward to the rest of this MLB season. Uh, Sean, I thought you said it really well on the platform, formerly known as Twitter, inject the Scherzer versus Verlander playoff game into my veins. So let me put you on the spot best team in texas rangers or astros oh astros
1: you know the the justin verlander trade uh you can see it pretty clearly in the the fangrass projections the Dakota projections after that trade was made their divisional odds for the astros upgraded by about 10 percent now i think a large part of that is the fact that they got jose Alcube and Jordan alvarez back right at the same time that the rangers basically lost jonaheim and Corey Seeger. Uh, it seems like Seager might be ahead of schedule coming back sooner than expected, but wrist injuries always tend to sap power a little bit. I mean, he was having such a dynamic season. I know play patience is a big part of his game, but he was hitting a ton of doubles, getting a lot of, you know, injecting a lot of power into that Rangers offense. So I think the Astros clearly have the better offense the rest of the way. I think the rotations are comparable, if not elite, to the Astros, and I give them the better bullpen as well. So Fangrass, Pacota, between them, they have the Astros winning division between. 60 to 70% of the time now, and you can get the Astros at minus 110 to win the division, even minus 120. I would probably make their fair odds around 60% at this point, and minus 150 implied. So certainly seems like an edge on the Astros to win the division. Both public projections agree with that, and I think the way the rosters shape up down the stretch would align with that as well, in addition to the fact that they have a pretty similar strength of schedule. I believe they only play each other for one series, one three-game series in Arlington, and... We'll see if Seager is back by right, early September for that one.
2: Hey, Sean, we were uh, debating earlier in the show that if your team sneaking into the playoffs, which path would you rather have? The top-heavy path with the National League in the Braves and Dodgers, one and two in the World Series odds, or more depth, teams that really help themselves in the American League where you have the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh favorites. Uh, what would you rather deal with? Uh, possibility of the, the top-heavy teams, which would be very tough in the National League, or all this depth that we're seeing in the AL side?
1: Yeah, generally when I'm looking to forecast betting futures, I'm trying to find teams that are going to avoid the best team. Basically, like you, you, want, you want to plan a path for a team who could get to the World Series While somebody else potentially eliminates the best team for them. And, you know, that's, you basically want to be in the half of the bracket that could avoid the Braves essentially in the National League and looking for a team like last year with the Padres, who I thought had a chance to make a run. And I, I still think this year as well, the Padres are the one value team in the National League in terms of making the playoffs at about plus 250, I think is a great bet that those odds should probably be closer. To about plus 175, and even their World Series odds at about 45 to one. The you know the fair odds on that should be anywhere between 15 to one and 25 to one. There's plenty of value on the Padres at this point. I'm not really sure how the bracket would play out in terms of you know their wild card spot and whether they could avoid the Braves. But yes, especially come playoff time, look at the way that that bracket sets up, and then maybe target one of the three teams from that quadrant that is not going to be facing the Braves in the NL, or in the uh, the NLDS, I should say.
2: Sean, what was your overall assessment on what the Orioles did trading for Jack Flaherty from the Cardinals, and what are you projecting from Baltimore moving forward? Yeah,
1: I thought it was underwhelming. You know, Baltimore has the most loaded prospect system, I believe, of all teams in the minors, and especially in terms of what they have, which is a ton of position player depth and a lot of guys who are blocked currently at the major league level by youngish players who are under control for several seasons. So it seems like the Orioles at some point do need to cash in those prospects and considering they're in first place in the league, uh, you know, very much in contention for, I believe I said the last time I came on the show that the Orioles had a chance to finish with the best record in the American League, and they've overtaken that spot to this point. So their contention window is open, and they're not really – playing it, you know, in terms of their front office like it is, I wish they had been more aggressive in terms of getting another reliever to complement Cano and Bautista because it seems like, you know, those guys throw two days in a row and then they're unavailable for a third day. Well, in a 7-game series, you really need all hands on deck. Um, and and uh, just a more impactful starter than Jack Flaherty, a guy who's been kind of a league average to so below average pitcher the past couple of years. So, maybe they're able to make some modifications to Flaherty. They seem to be pretty good with their pitching player development. And getting you know arsenals more in line and uncovering things that other teams haven't found but at the same time i just wish they'd been more aggressive going out and targeting a guy like eduardo rodriguez or you know a dylan Caesar or a lucas gilito it seems like that was the type of picture they needed you know a tier or two above a flaherty
0: yeah it does seem like that last year we were upset with birdland and what they did uh you know getting rid of Trey Mancini, regardless of whatever happened to him. Still, though, it was a move that we were sort of souring on because it felt like the O's were starting to put everything together. Maybe this is just something we're going to get used to every year and say, hey, Baltimore should have been doing more, but they hung on to their prospects. So maybe just, you know, par for the course as far as, uh, you know, an annual tradition at the trade deadline. I want to ask you about the Marlins because when I was power ranking teams, I felt like won the trade deadline. I was really impressed with what they did, and I felt like they had to because this was the best chance that they've had since 2020 to make the playoffs for the first time in a long time and I'm looking at you know Jake Berger David Robertson guys like that it's really impressed with the guys they picked up what say you yeah you know
1: they certainly needed to add power and even though Jake Berger doesn't get on base it just sort of adds a, a different dimension to their lineup if you can get into a short series and Jake Berger and Jorge Soler can actually hit a couple bombs Josh Bell could give them some contributions from both sides of the plate. I mean, it, it just Lincoln's their lineup. And they have the kind of high-end pitching depth that you would want to see with guys like Alcantara, who's pitching much better of late, by the way. Uh, Braxton Garrett has his moments. Hazel Lizardo, I think, is, could be a really solid number, two. And if you're going to tell me that Yuri Perez is going to potentially be in shape, you know, down the stretch, uh, you know, and a little bit better than what we saw earlier in the year after getting some major league experience, is it the Marlins could interest you potentially in a short series after adding to their lineup, uh, you know, David Robertson blew that game yesterday and I was on the Marlins. That was a little bit frustrating, but they're both projected very well for me all season. Uh, just in terms of the math though, the Marlins were a team that I, I bet the preseason win total over on. And then, you know, right around the all-star break, I took bets against them to make the playoffs. So sort of kind of in a position where I want them to keep playing well, but also kind of want them to miss out on the wildcard by a game or two. Uh, And and that sort of feeds back into the Padres and the Phillies, you know, who I think are just higher upside clubs who, If they make the postseason are going to be dangerous and potential world series contenders, just like we saw both of them getting to the NLCS last year. So yeah, Marlins, you know, I I like the moves they made, but I'm still not quite sure if it's enough. Um, I wouldn't bet against them at this point. I think the math is sort of aligned with the betting market, but I, I still think they're, on the outside looking in, they're going to need to overachieve a little bit the rest of the way.
2: Sean, what did you think about the teams in the centrals? Uh, We stress winning the division. Teams do that, and you understand why. Now the teams in the centrals probably not going to get a buy, but I thought it was pretty notable. On the AL side, you've got Minnesota and Cleveland. It's a two-game gap there. In the National League side, Cincinnati and Milwaukee. None of these teams are really buyers. The Cubs were. But these other Central teams weren't. What would you think?
1: Yeah, the, you know, the Reds along with the Orioles, the team I was disappointed by because of all the prospect depth that they have. Uh, even could have traded a guy like Jonathan India, who seems like he's just surplus relative to all the other pieces they brought onto their roster. So, yeah, sitting in first place in the NL Central, just like the Orioles are sitting in first place in the AL East, the desperate need of pitching, and didn't really go out and address it, which is disappointing because – You know, there was a very good point made on MLB Network yesterday during the trade deadline coverage, but prospects are meant for two reasons. One, to help your major league roster, and two, to help you deal for things to help your major league roster. And at some point, you have to decide what you're doing with them. And it's very evident that both the Reds and the Orioles have more position player prospects than they're going to be able to put on the field at the same time. So at some point, they have to trust their talent evaluations and trust what they're getting back relative to what they think their players they're giving up are. And actually make some moves and, you know, choose a direction because sitting here in contention at the first year of what could be your five or six or more year contention window and not really improving your roster at the trade deadline as the other teams around you, like you said, the Cubs are, or even the Brewers to a degree did, you know, it's disappointing to see because these are teams I have small investments in from a futures perspective, but more so I just think they're really exciting clubs and it would have been nice to see them get to the postseason with just some additional pieces on the roster. Again, like Giolito, Lancelin, these are are pitchers that I thought would have gone to Baltimore and Cincinnati, not to L.A. So definitely disappointed by these these sort of uh, mid-market clubs, you know, not getting mixed in in the trade market where they actually have an advantage as compared to free agency where the allure of a bigger market like Los Angeles can overtake a player.
2: Who are some of the other teams that disappointed you and maybe one that we haven't touched on that impressed you at the trade deadline
1: well you know the mess in terms of picking a direction and realizing that the plan that they had wasn't going to work that this isn't a winning team that they had built and basically deciding that they're going to front a bunch of money to acquire a farm system i think is really interesting because we've never seen a team do this before we've seen the Yankees buy up all top tier free agents in the past, but we've never seen a team flex their pocketbook to basically acquire two top 100 prospects and a bunch of other fringe, you know, top 150 prospects. So certainly love the direction that the Mets took, getting rid of Scherzer and Verlander, but actually acquiring back impactful prospects and setting themselves up, not necessarily for 2024, but definitely for 2025 and beyond with all the prospects that they already have in the minors. Again, a, a bunch of position player prospects don't really have much pitching player or much uh, much pitching depth in the minors, but certainly going to be able to deal from a an area of strength with all their position players in the future. So I like what the Mets did quite a bit, um, just sort of resetting the direction that they're headed. A team that you know really confused me was the Yankees. They were the last team to make a trade. They didn't really pick a direction. They sort of played it, uh, you know. Kind of like the Brewers played it last year, where they were in contention, and then dealt away Josh Hader. Where the Yankees didn't really deal away any significant piece; they brought in Keenan Middleton. But it seems like these, you know, as you said, Joe, the the Central teams didn't really want to buy or sell. The, the Yankees and the American League youth teams also didn't really know what to do with each other because they're all in contention with one another. Seems like the West, you know, the the Western Division teams were the ones adding, while the the AL East was really just sitting still because they're all battling it out with each other. So. Maybe they trust the guys that they have in their organizations, but, yeah, you know, you typically expect uh, those impl- impactful players coming to the Northeast, and that didn't really happen this year.
0: Sean, I'm curious because last week it felt like we were talking at great length about the Angels and wanting to go all in for Shoei Otani to convince them to, to stick around after this season. Now that we've had a couple of days to kind of process what they've done, do you feel like that there's betting value on taking them to make the playoffs? anything of that sort? No, you know, as I was
1: going through the whole board, really, it was only the Astros and the, the Padres that stood out as potential value best, the Astros for their vision, and the Padres basically for making the playoffs, uh, you know, National League and World Series. In terms of the Angels, the Taylor Ward injury occurring right as they ended up acquiring other guys was pretty devastating because he was really coming on of late. I just don't trust their rotation depth. And, and Shohei's actually, you know, kind of come down in terms of his pitching effectiveness relative to where he was in the first half. But even with Giolito in there, who's a the guy I've been down on for the past couple of years, I just don't know if they have enough pieces to get there. Uh, you know, they, they have to hop all those American League East teams. Getting by one of Texas or Houston seems like it's going to be a tall task with all they added. My biggest fear for the Angels was that they were going to go in and cash in those ships and add, and that they wouldn't add as much as other teams did. And it seems like that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, unfortunately, uh, the the Angels are really going to need Shohei to do some incredible things down the stretch if they're going to make it. But I don't think you can justify betting on them individually. But on a game-to-game basis, I'm still interested, including today, this afternoon against the Braves, especially for the first five innings. I think the Angels are worth a bet down to about plus 115. But even for the full game, too, I'm interested.
2: There you go. Uh, Sean, we've got about a minute remaining. It looks like both MVPs are just about done. Is there any MLB awards market that you find really interesting right now?
1: I mean, I think the Cy Youngs are going to be the most interesting the rest of the way, because those seem more wide open. I guess American league rookie of the year between Gunnar and Jung. I, I would lean to the East coast guy with the East coast bias and the voting, but yeah, Cy Young, they, the two guys who are probably going to end up as your wins above replacement leaders, are Kevin Galsman and Zach Wheeler. So those are, that's the stat that I always point to for betting awards is wins above replacement. And those are the two guys who are currently on top in each league and projected to lead their leagues at the end of the year. So sitting at around four to five to one respectively, it, not the worst investments based on those projections.
0: Good stuff. Sean Zarillo of the Action Network. You can follow him on X at Sean Zarillo. Thank you so much for your time. We greatly appreciate it. This is BeckQL Daily presented by Ben and GM. Coming up next, our Lightning Bets, our favorite plays for tonight. That's coming up here on the BeckQL Network.